Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. Gade ti moun yo kap soufri Gade frem sem yo kap peri Tout kote ou passe na televizyon Se ou selvizyon Ki len ap jwen non soumisyon Men pou ki sa se konsaye Pou ki nou pa chèche yon jan Regardez qui j'en méchanceté D'aller en pile malhonnête Pour qui division et malnutrition Fintu en nation Malheureux sans attention Pas de travail pied en marque Pas de courage pour s'y Yeah, c'est pour nous demander de mettre là, bon courage pour nous ranger. 
Legacy of 1804. I am your host, Alice Backer. Today's date is September 22, 2017. And tonight we are talking to Daniela Bienimé, who is who writes at the Bienimé Post and who offers her thoughts on uh, the Haitian economy, uh, investment in Haiti, and just generally Haitian politics at the Bien-Aimé Post, and who's been a frequent guest here at Legacy of 1804. She just came back from a trip to Haiti, and I think this is one of her um, uh, well, this is a very important trip for her from the past several years. And she's made her thoughts known on her blog, on the Bien-Aimé Post. And we've actually shared them with you in the past. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to have her um, discuss the trip uh, in person. Now she's still, uh, okay, looks like I see her on now. So she just uh, connected. And so we're grateful for that. And so before we bring her on, um, as I always do every Friday night, I have a few reminders for you. We opened up the show with the theme song. Well, actually, tonight was not the theme song. Tonight was Misty Jean's Lipatwata. She's been a guest on the show. And of course, that means it's not too late. Um, and it's, it's a heartfelt song. We like to play it. And here at Love 1804, we amplify Haitian voices live on air every Friday night. And that is just the audio version of what we have been doing online at kisscastity.com since 2005. We're also, of course, on Twitter where there's about 48,000 of you following. Ah, we're now at 49. So thank you so much for that. We're also on Tumblr and at Instagram at the handle at Kiskeacity. And if you enjoyed tonight's show and you find it constructive, please share it to your social network. Uh, I always like feedback on the sound. That's the advantage of being live. And of course, being live comes with perils as well. So if anyone um, is having trouble hearing, please let me know in real time. So far, so good from what I'm hearing. To see what Haitian bloggers from the world over are saying, go to at Haitian bloggers on Twitter or to the Facebook page titled Haitian Bloggers. And um, you can listen to past shows on iTunes by searching the keywords Legacy of 1804. And past shows are also available under the LOF 1804 tab at kisscacity.com. People are always asking me, Alice, how can we support the podcast? Uh, I've done the podcast basically benevolently for the last three years. 
And uh, my answer is very simple. Uh, support all the other stuff I do. Um, Musically Thursday, Afro Crowd. Uh, Musically Thursday, we have live music, which I curate every Thursday at La Caille, across from them in Brooklyn, on Lafayette. Um, support that, and you support me. Uh, and this week, we're going to be having um, Edwin Vasquez, who is this amazing um, bossa flamenco slash gypsy soul uh, Latin artist. So if you show up to that, you support me and you support my endeavors. Uh, you can also support if you want to book bands through me. That also supports uh, what I do. And um, in, in order to, you know, let me know that you want to book a band, you can just uh, email me at alice.backer at icloud.com. So all of those things support me. And of course, I just love your company and I just love to, ha to have you call in. And I just love all the conversations we have here on LOF 1804. That always supports me uh, to see your participation, whether live or on the social networks when I broadcast. So. I'm not going to uh, let you hang on for too much longer. Um, I do want to add that uh, for those of you who are listening online, if you want at any point to call in and participate, you can do so at 714-242-6119, 714-242-6119. And once you call in, just press one and I'll know you want to speak. And this is the same. You can also just listen to the show outright at 714-242-6119. That works as well. You can do that. I also want to apologize to everybody for not broadcasting last week. Um, I have I had every intention to. We broadcasted basically just every Friday night, uh, you know, on the dot for the last three, four years. Uh, but last Friday, I had the surreal um, experience of coming um, just literally as I was going home to broadcast, running into uh, a friend who I had not seen in six years, and he was passing through my neighborhood for, I don't know, like two days. And it was my only opportunity to catch up with that person. And so um, I am thankful for your patience as I did not uh, show up on the air as I usually do. That's, you know, that's what happens when you're, uh, when you're a lone podcaster. Okay, so um, who is our guest, Daniela Bienimé? Well, we all know that Daniela is the, she is the lead blogger and, of course, the founder at the Bienimé Post. Her thoughtful blog posts come out, they don't come out every day, but when they do come out, they're so well-crafted that people pay attention and she's she's offered some you know really thought-provoking thoughts theories and recommendations for what's going on in our beloved haiti and um so she's gotten very very much noticed that way um she is the lead online content developer for Bienemy Post and one of Haiti's chief brand ambassadors on social media. The Bienemy Post digital platform highlights and connects emerging businesses, leaders, and innovators from both Haiti and its global diaspora through content development and social media. After spending 10 years in the corporate space in sectors such as financial services, publishing, 
and most recently academia, it has been rewarding to use to Daniela to use her organizational leadership and management skills and her education as well as her international background to build a blog that can showcase Haiti's business and economic development in a positive light. A graduate of Columbia University Teachers College, she's won several awards for her work in the aftermath of Haiti's 2010 earthquake, primarily from Columbia Teachers College and the Jewish Community Relations Council as part of her New York Haitian Leadership Fellows Program. In addition to writing for this blog, she is also a contributor to the following lead, leading niche publications, The Haitian Times, a leading online magazine in New York, Haiti Business Week, Boston and Caribbean 360 in the Bahamas. She'd love to hear from her readers, so she of course asks you to connect with her and she's going to be able to share that in person right here tonight. Uh, Daniela, are you here with us? Yes, I am, Alice. Yes, I am. It's good to be here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you very well. Awesome. Awesome. So we this has been you know it's been a while since we've had you on. We've had you on periodically. Uh, you've even uh, hosted the show, so that's always been uh, lots of fun. And so we haven't we hadn't had you in a while. So of course it was great to receive in uh, my email your recent post about your Haiti trip. And uh, yes. that was a pleasant surprise and allowed everybody to figure out, you know, what you were up to. Uh, let me just maybe start with that post unless you want to first, um, you know, offer some opening remarks. No, you can start. You can go ahead and start. Actually, I do okay. have, I'm going to answer the question because somebody else on YouTube uh, just posted a comment. So um, I'm going to respond here. <laughs> so go ahead. You Very can good. lead the way and, I, and I'll chime in. So, um, so your article is titled, uh, and, this, and this came out, of course, on the Vietnamese Post, and you, you, you posted it on September 11th. Port-au-Prince is broken for 99% of the population, but the rest of Haiti is rich. Um, the case for Haiti's wealth. My trip to Haiti was extremely productive. I hope you'll like some of the interviews and stories I will be sharing during the next few weeks about Haiti's potential to emerge as a small business hub. Someone asked me on Facebook to share my first reaction about the country, and to be frank, the first thing I thought about upon spending time there is that Port-au-Prince is broken for 99% of the population, but Haiti is filthy rich with food and land. Uh, and then, of course, you, you post a short four-minute video that highlights Leo Gan, and of course, and I didn't get a chance to um, convert it to MP3 for tonight, so you're going to have to tell us what's in that video. And uh, so the video showcases Leo Gan and its tremendous wealth potential. And you, and you go on in your voice, uh, I read, I could have said that about every other part of Haiti with the exception of Port-au-Prince. You can click yep. the link below to check out the new video. Um, and then of course you, you, you ask people, are you currently working or doing business in Haiti? What are the business potentials? What business potentials do you see? Share your thoughts on the video. So um, let's just open, open up to you, Daniela, and see, um, you know, what, what your main takeaway is from that trip and, and, and maybe also just walk us through the, the, the reason for the trip and what you did during the trip because you haven't yet shared all the other um, uh, excerpts and pieces that you wanted to share. 
Sure. Well, I've had so many. Uh, there's a lot of content that I'm going to be sharing in the next few weeks. But um, the reason for my trip was twofold. The first one, I actually went to spend time with my family because I had a lot of family members who were going to actually be in Haiti uh, in the month of July and August. And I went in August. And the second reason why I went, I actually I am in the process of writing a book. Uh, about business in Haiti. So I went to sort of like finalize the research because I wanted to meet uh, some of the people on the ground that I actually, that I've been um, in touch with for the past year that I've been connecting with online uh, through email and to, uh, and by phone as well. So I wanted to connect with them. And uh, while I was there, I also, uh, made uh, several appointments to sort of like um, interview some of the emerging Haitian um, like startups and people who are actually doing technology, the Haitians who are doing technology. I interviewed this um, really great, 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 great uh, guy in Jacques Mail. He actually built an app and I'm going to share the video um, in the next coming weeks. And I've also interviewed uh, this other young man uh, that, you know, it's a very interesting story because um, what happened was about maybe three months ago, uh, a friend of mine and Jacques Mail sent a Facebook message. And basically she, you know, she was asking for this young Haitian man who's a brilliant carpenter. He went to a vocational school and he actually uh, did really well, and he wanted to start a small business, but he only had two, uh, basically two tools to actually work, but he wanted to actually get more tools. So he had my friend, because he doesn't have a lot of people on Facebook, he had my friend who's running a school in Jacmel to send, you know, to send a notice on, on Facebook. And obviously I get the post, and I turn around and I, you know, I, I asked my, my friends on Facebook if they wanted to help because he was not looking for money at all. The only thing he was looking for was used tools. And it was fascinating within less than 24 hours, um, you know, a friend on Facebook actually reached out to me and said, I want to help. And they, they purchased, you know, about $400 worth of uh, of tools from Lowe's in New York. And I told her, well, if I, if you can get them to me, I will make sure they get to Haiti because at the time I knew that I was gonna, I, was, I knew I was planning to go for the other interviews. I said, if I can go there and interview him and see exactly what he's doing, it will be fantastic. And exactly what I set out to do, that's exactly what I planned. While I was in Haiti, the shipment arrived in Jacmel and I was able to travel to Jacmel and interview this young man. And it, it, it's, it was, it's probably one of the best interviews that I've done this year because of the way that I see uh, Facebook evolving and doing so much more than just, um, than just uh, be a new site. But I really see the connection between how the Haitian diaspora and Haiti can connect to really help, um, to really help these individual small business owners. So it was really, really, it was really productive. Uh, I got a lot done and I also got to rest. I got to eat a lot, uh, which is a lot of organic food, food straight from, you know, from outside. 
from the backyard, as we call it, from Fudlakai. So it was really, 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 really good. But I have to tell you, Alison, I'm going to lead straight into why I actually did the video. Um, I, the last time I was in Haiti was right after the earthquake. I spent several weeks in Haiti um, after the earthquake. And I want, and you know, I've been writing about Haiti and trying to push this message to get Haitians to think about the big picture, that it's not the way that uh, as, as, as a diaspora that we're really working with Haiti, it's not effective. It hasn't been effective. Uh, we really need to think about uh, Haiti's economic development. And one of the ways that can happen is through business creation. And I'm a firm believer in that. Um, it's education and business creation. Even in the business sector, there's a lot of education that needs to happen. Uh, so it's been a while. It's been uh, seven years since, um, since I was home. And I wanted to go back uh, for the reasons that I mentioned to you. And I was, I guess, in my mind, I was hoping and, and wishing that when I landed there, I would see a little bit of transformation. I wasn't expecting to see a lot of transformation, but a little bit of transformation. And I have to tell you, it was really, it was really sad because maybe with the exception of there's one bridge that's been built since I left Haiti, but the country is, is you know, it's the same as I left it. And sadly, in Port-au-Prince, not in the interview, because I traveled to Jacques Mail. I was all I was in Pichonville. I was in Leogan. I spent a lot of time in Leogan. Um, and that's one of the places that I'm doing work in, when I say work, like community building, um, and really um, meeting farmers and meeting um, some of the people who actually have the potential. They have the wealth, but they just don't know how to uh, have access outside of Leogano, outside of Jamila, outside of Port-au-Prince. Um, in any case, um, the first, I mean, as soon as I landed in Haiti, um, you know, a friend picked me up uh, to take me to where I was going to stay in Pitcherville. I actually, the same day that I landed, I, um, like, literally the next day I went back, I went to Leogan. But it was it was amazing just to see how um, infrastructure. I mean, there were so many holes in Haiti, like on the streets, and the the streets of Port-au-Prince, with the exception of parts of Delma, it was dirty. It was so filthy, and you have like these huge sinkholes. You have. Um, you have like a fat rat, all this garbage, uh, and it's and people are basically they are selling on the garbage. They are uh, conducting business on the garbage. I mean, it, they they write and I, and it's amazing because I would just um, stand by just just to observe because I love to observe, and it's almost as if you know they're not aware of the condition that that they end. It's and they're just functioning. And uh, and I just started thinking, you know, like just how like how do they you know how are they able to? Um, to me, it's amazing just how they are able to function day in and day out in the conditions that that they are in, and it's just to survive. 
Um, so there are three ways that I that I think that you know um, Port-au-Prince specifically, because once you leave Port-au-Prince, um, things are not fantastic, but you can see the wealth, and I shared that in a little bit later. But for Port-au-Prince, it seems like the rule uh, the rule of law. I mean, that alone is broken. I'll give you an example: the transportation system in Haiti is broken, and I am not. Um, one of the people who went and all I did was travel by private car. I was very much a citizen. I was a Haitian. I was a Haitian native. I was traveling in Tap Tap. I took camionette. I was in Mache en bas. I really spent a lot of time uh, where the people are. You know, I really, because I wanted to, to talk to people. I wanted to, and everywhere I went, I was asking people, so how are things going? How are you feeling about the direction that the country is uh, going? Like, how do you think the uh, current president, like how do you feel like your life is, uh, is getting better? And, uh, and I have to tell you, nine out of 10 of them said, well, they're getting better for the people who are close to him, close to them, but for us, the average, the average patient, things are getting worse, you know, for us. Things are not getting better. Um, and and it, it was just, so that was hard, you know, that was heartbroken because you, 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 if you're listening to some of the news here in the, in the U.S., you will think this, um, you know, the caravan change that it's doing, you know, uh, amazingly well. But the reality is, I think there's a disconnect between what the people, what the average Haitian, like my, uh, uh, the people who are selling downtown, um, Ville, uh, who are selling to our photo friends, what they're going through. I'll give you an example. So I was waiting for a camionette, and when I was in Haiti, I didn't travel by myself. I always had someone with me because, you know, as soon as they see you, they'll, you know, they, they know that you, you have money. Um, even though you may not, you don't have money, they'll think you have money, so they'll jack up the prices. So I always walk around, um, and that's something that I encourage people to do, especially, like I travel because I'm from New York and I can travel in Haiti, but always have somebody with you. But I'll give you an example, well, two examples of how things are broken. Uh, I was waiting for a camionette because I was going uh, to uh, Pétionville, and there was this merchant, Omashan, um, and she was selling fruits. Um, and, and she was, you know, it was around three o'clock in the afternoon. And she, I, and she was talking to somebody next to her, to another Omashan. And she's like, and she said, you know, this is in Creole. She said, man, I am so hungry. I'm so hungry. I, I don't know what I'm going to do for food. And mind you, she's selling fruits, right? Uh, so two things I, I, I thought about. Um, one, maybe the what she's selling doesn't belong to her, and she's selling for somebody else. Uh, and this was like an, an, an older woman. Maybe she was close to like in her 60s, uh, 70s, and she was selling. And um, so I thought, wow. So that had an impact on me, right? Because um, you're thinking she's, you know, she, she, in your mind, you're probably thinking she's a small business owner. She's selling fruits, but you know, she can't even 
she can't even eat what she's selling because she doesn't know, you know, she doesn't, I, I don't know what the reason was, but it was, it was just amazing how someone can have a small business and yet they can eat. So there's another guy, because I was, I was, I went to one call full to take a bus, to take a, um, one of these well, private buses to go to the Jacques Mail. And as I was sitting there waiting, I, uh, so there's this other guy, he was selling sodas, he was selling, uh, you know, Coca-Cola, he was selling water, those the plastic water bags. And uh, so as I was sitting there, because I love to talk to people, uh, I love to engage them. So I said, you know, so, so as I asked him, I said, so how's it going? I said, have you, have you been able to sell anything today? Because I, you know, I wanted to get water. So I bought a, a bottle of water from him. And he said, you know, I, I have to tell you, uh, some days I can sell 20 of these drinks. And other days I can go days and I don't make a dime. And part of it is you have, uh, and this is a one called four, you have about maybe a hundred of these guys um, and they are selling some of the same things. So they are competing with one another. So there's really no diversity in terms of, you know, what they're selling. If they're selling, uh, you know, the plastic water, they're all selling the same thing and they're trying to make the best uh, out of it. So again, that struck a chord in my in, in, in my mind because I thought wow you know now there was a there, there was an assumption that if they felt that if you see them on the street they are probably making money they are probably um, not only making money but they are able to eat but even what they are doing they cannot eat they cannot so either you know they are not managing what they are selling or they're managing the money or there's not a there's not enough profit for them to really be able to have a little bit of extra to to buy food to eat right um so i was asking he says no he says you know things are very difficult he says you know sometimes you know i can eat and other times i cannot eat and these are people who are selling so it was very 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 interesting and they um uh, you know haiti is it's to me it's congested a little bit because you have a lot of the people from the provinces, they come, they come to Port-au-Prince to try to make a living, um, but they all trying to do the same thing. So they definitely need variety, they definitely need to do, to have different means to really make a living. So that was very, very, um, that was an eye, that was very eye-opening. So I thought it was really interesting. But the infrastructure, um, and the transportation system, that is why, to me, Haiti is broken because there's no order. Um, and I have to tell you something else too, just the, the motorcycle drivers, that, that whole situation, I think it's, it's just really, it's, it's ready to explode because the, the roads in Haiti are very, very small. I mean, there's like an accident, I think, in Haiti at least every hour or so. When I was driving, uh, every time I drive, I would see, uh, in communet, not in, in private cars, like you would see accidents. I saw, I saw several accidents when I was there. But the motorcycles, they, they have to figure, the government has to figure out a way to provide support for these guys um, because they are, 
I mean, they are literally, they are literally struggling because they are competing with the camionette. They are competing with the tap tap. And then they are also competing with the private, with the private citizens who have cars. And, but let, the road let, Haiti, let me stop uh-huh. you there. Let, let me stop yes. you there, Daniela, because, yeah. you know, when, when I was growing up in Haiti, there were no, there were no motorcycles. There was, the, you yes. couldn't take a motorcycle as a taxi. So my question to you is, supposedly the motorcycles are there because now the city has become so congested, um, the motorcycles are supposed to, and and we see this in some Asian cities as well, some big Asian metropolises, the motorcycles are there to help people bypass the traffic. But now you're saying that the motorcycles are actually not helping. So what am I getting, what am I getting, what am I not getting? Well, they're not, the motorcycles came after the earthquake. And to me, I think that although, and I understand economically, that's how a lot of these uh, young guys are, are making a living. I, I understand. And I, think, and I think they need to continue to make a living. But I think the, the Haitian government um, doesn't really help them in terms of creating the infrastructure. I'll give you an example. They just passed a law a couple of months ago where the motorcycle driver has to have, um, you know, um, has to wear a, a casket. He, he, needs a, he needs something in his head, right? I, I have to tell you, nine out of 10 of them didn't have one. And I mean, and I didn't see one police officer stopping anybody to, you know, uh, to ask them, how come you don't have one? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even see that. But in any case, they are a problem because, first of all, a lot of them get into accidents with the camionette because there's not enough space. So either the Haitian government expands um, the roads, right, so that way they can have one, you know, they can have enough space for the camionette and the tapta and the and the motorcycles because right now the motorcycles actually they can get people to uh point a to point b faster but they are also the most dangerous because they of the because there's not enough space on the road uh for them to actually you know uh, do the activities for them to really work so that's why it's problematic um the other piece too is like if you get um you know, if you if you get on a motorcycle, you're basically taking your life into your own hands because you really don't know, first of all, if that guy um, has a license, if the motorcycle is registered. Um, there's really no there's really no infrastructure for you to know. So you basically so everything is sort of like a, a risk. Right. But the thing that's the most um, telling in Port-au-Prince to me um, is, is the road. There are so many uh, like large sinkholes. Like you constantly, you're driving, but you're constantly dodging the roads because there are so many holes that you don't want to get into an accident. And so you, 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 you're struggling to, you know, to navigate the streets and yet you have to, you have to, you have to travel, you have to go to work, you have to do, you have to go do what you need to do. So it's, it's, it's very, it was very disheartening just to see uh, just how people were forced to, you know, to survive, but they all surviving 
under such high risk. Like they have no, they have, they have no support at all. Um, and I have a couple of other things that I want to talk to you about in terms of, you know, Bill Clinton that I found out, which was also very upsetting. Um, so it's it, so, and that's go it's, go it's, right it's ahead. Broken. Go yeah, go that's, right it's, into it's, it. It's, it's, it's broken. So that was the first thing. So and asking you know a lot of questions um, because I talk to people to the average Haitians when I say average Haitians, so people who are trying to survive on a day to day basis. You know, I had one woman that I was speaking with, and I when I asked her, well, how are things going? Like, how are you doing? You know, and uh, and we were eating. We we're eating something. We we're eating uh, mai, and we we're just talking. And as we were talking, she said, "You know, Daniela, this is what it's like. You know, this food that we're eating right now. While I am eating it with you, I have to figure out before I finish eating how I'm going to find something to eat like this tomorrow." And that is how we are living every day. Every day is uh, survival. Every day is okay. Okay, this is this is this is the moment that I'm enjoying now that I'm able to eat. What is it that I'm going to need to do to find something to to eat tomorrow? And uh, and these are the kind of stories that I was able to 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 listen to and to really and to really understand. Um, you have another piece that's also broken is the customer service piece in Haiti. And I was just amazed that, you know, some of the American companies that are in Haiti, some of the way that the customer service in Haiti is they would never even, I mean, the U.S. also struggles with customer service too because that's, I think that's a, that's a universal phenomenon. But I know that there are companies here, customer service, and there are some brand name companies here that have uh, like uh, 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 the same company in Haiti. I'm talking about specifically a bank, and and I think because they are in Haiti, they think they can get away with it. The customer service is horrible. And I'll give you an example. Um, I I bank with Citibank, and I the reason why I'm talking to you about this is because I've already I've already addressed it. I've addressed it with the director of the of the of the bank because I'm like I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna uh, I'm gonna let you know what's not working because. This is how the country is going to get better. You cannot continue to operate in mediocrity and think that, you know, that you're doing great. Um, so before, when I got there, when I, when I arrived to Haiti, I called. I called the bank. I went online, and I saw the number. And I called the bank, I said, and I told them, I said, well, uh, this is my bank in New York. I want to come because uh, I, I want to make a transfer. I want to do a transaction. And I said, you know, uh, what's the address? What do I need to do? And the woman said to me, uh, yes, you're going to need, um, you're gonna need a, a passport. Uh, and here's the address. And I said, is there anything else that I need? Because I know my country. I know that I have to be proactive and, and always helping them to figure out what I need. Because if I don't really ask, I'm not really going to, to probably, I'm going to be disappointed when I get there. So I said, is there anything else that I need? And she said, no, 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 you have the address, just bring your passport because you're gonna need uh, identification. I said, okay, fine, you know. And, uh, and I said, okay, that's fine. So I went down there, I went to, I went to the bank and the, first of all, the moment I walked in, I felt like I was a terrorist. 
because there were so many, uh, there were several of the of, of cops, but also people from the U.S. I mean, I had to lift did my hand. Did you up. just say terrorist? Say, did you actually just yes, use the word yes, terrorist? I did. I did in my own country. In my own country, yes. In my own country. Um, <laughs> in my own country, I did because of the that way that I was. That is hilarious. That is that is hilarious. I mean, they. And, and I had, you know, and I had a knapsack. I was, and it's the way that they make you feel. First of all, I had to raise my hands. I mean, I had to, uh, you know, give them my knapsack. I, and I understand security. I get it. But it's it's how they make you feel. I'm like, wow. I I just wanted to make a transfer. That is all that I wanted. But that's not the end of the story. So even after all of that, first I had to go to several. Um, you know, uh, people to check me to make sure that I was, I didn't have a bomb in my knapsack that, you know, that I was okay, that I was legit. So after they did all that, I went to the, uh, the woman who was at the, at the, you know, at the, at the desk. I said, you know, uh, you know, you know, good morning. I'm here. I called earlier and, you know, they told me that I needed to get my passport. I need to make a transfer. And she said to me, Oh, you you can't make a transfer because um, you you you're a private citizen. We don't we only deal with businesses. I said okay. I said well, I do have a small business and I I can I can still see if I can make the exchange. She said oh no 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 you 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 can't do that. You can um you have to go to another bank because you needed to actually link your account when you were in New York. So I asked her, I said, but I spoke with you about two hours ago. Why didn't you tell me this? Why, why didn't you tell me this? And I said, I could, have, I could have done it before I actually, you know, come. And the woman had, like, the biggest attitude. She, I mean, you would think that I am the one who offended her, who traveled two hours, mind you, to come. And when I got there, the information that she gave me was wrong. So I said, you know what? I said I need to, to to speak with someone. I said that's fine if I can't if I can't do the transaction that I came to do. But I said at least I said what you guys need to do you need to put that information on the on the website because you do have a website. And I said that kind of thing would never happen in New York because you are using you know you're using basically people's money to actually. Uh, survive to actually have a business here so you need to treat the customers well oh it said she was she was livid she was livid she was like you know well how would i know that you know you you, you were business I said, well you could have asked <laughs> you could have asked me you know but this kind of customer service was to out it was to what it was from the the machine who's selling you you know the kidnap to you know to citibank to citibank I mean, it was just, but what's interesting is that I know that this kind of behavior will not be tolerated in New York at Citibank. I know that. But in Haiti, it's like, who's, you know, like, who's, who's mining the gap? I guess that would be my question. Um, so that's, that's what I knew when I said it's broken. The, the, the structure, the infrastructure is broken. Uh, people don't have you know, enough, they don't have the roads, they don't have the, the support um, of the government. They don't, I mean, 
nothing really works. I mean, it, it, it feels like every single thing you do, it, it's a struggle. And the worst part is, Alice, it doesn't have to be that way at all. It really doesn't. It doesn't have to be um, that way at all. But that for some reason, um, you just think it's, 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 that's how it should be. Um, so that was, that was the first thing. But here's another uh, interesting thing that I discovered. And I also share this because, you know, I, I'm not a, a journalist and I'm not an investigative uh, uh, journalist, but I'm hoping that someone uh, like one of your listeners that's listening tonight uh, will will want to uh, will want to understand it and, and dig a little bit. But it was very very um, how would I say that disturbing to learn that that Bill Clinton, from what I understand, this is coming from this is not coming from me. Haitians who live in Haiti and uh, who are, these are from reliable, from, a reliable, from reliable sources, I should say, who are experiencing this side of, uh, well, I was so specifically Bill Clinton. But how is it that in a country that's supposedly, to, that's supposed to be one of the poorest countries uh, in the Western Hemisphere, yet from my understanding that Bill Clinton owns several pieces of properties, right? And one of the most um, wealthiest um, communes in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, in a, in a town called Fermat. Fermat, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's it's above Pichonville. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I've, yes. I've been so, to and definitely have heard of Fermat, yeah. It's yes, in the hill. It's, it's pretty cold. Yes, it's in the hill. So... So I was, so as I was asking, I said, so, you know, explain to me how is that possible? They said, yes. They said, in fact, you know, there's like, there's an area, it's the last area that is owned by a Haitian. And the Haitian is actually uh, in the U.S. And, uh, but he's, his mother still lives in that town. And that's, that little area, that last piece that's left, if they were to get it, they would be able to actually see all of all of Port-au-Prince because of the way that that little property is. And from what I understand, they have been trying. When I say they, from the, the Clinton camp, they have been trying to, um, you know, twist this man's arms to 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 force him to sell. And he said, absolutely not. That he would, you know, he's like, absolutely not. He said, I have family. I have my mother in that property. Uh, I am not selling. But somebody needs to ask, why is, if, you know, they need to dig and find out, okay, how many, how many pieces of property does Bill Clinton own in Haiti? I think, I think that's a valid question for Haitians to ask. And if you... If you don't really, if you don't live in Haiti, why do you own any piece of anyway? But anyway, so that's that's something that I wanted to sort of like put out there because I was I was a little bit um, surprised that um, you know that's <laughs> that's the case, um, you know. But I guess that that gives them a reason to um, to be in Haiti more frequently. But that's something that they need to know. So that was that was the other piece. The other thing that um, I thought was really interesting was in terms of the rice um, 
And I learned something very, very um, interesting in the fact that, believe it or not, um, we, Haiti still has like a small middle class Haitians. It's not big, but there's still a small class of Haitians in Haiti. And, uh, and some of the people that I spoke with, um, they have absolutely no desire, no desire whatsoever to come to the U.S., to come to Canada. And they'll tell you, I will not come. I can, I can live better uh, in Haiti than, you know, if I were to come to the U.S. Um, so I want people to know that because there's this, um, there's this um, assumption that everybody is trying to, uh, you know, come here. But there are some Haitians that do not want to come. Uh, the other piece that I thought was interesting, while I was there, I did see, um, you know, a lot of the U.S. rice. <laughs> you know, in vans and in the camionette, uh, transporting them from one place to another. Um, I thought that was that. You know, it's still happening. They're still uh, clearly dumping rice there. Um, but something else that um, you know, a, a few people mentioned to me, which which encouraged me. I thought that part was very encouraging. Is that a lot of the people from like the middle class, they do not eat the the foreign rice like the rice that comes from the u.s the rice that comes from vietnam and china they do not eat it they actually eat the haitian rice because the haitian rice is organic even though it costs a little bit more money they would much rather pay the extra money than than eat than you know buying the the, the u.s rice because to them and they'll tell you the u.s rice and the vietnamese rice and the chinese rice um, they are full of chemicals, and a lot of people in Haiti are developing diabetes because of the food that's being, um, you know, imported uh, to Haiti. Uh, but it was hopeful for me to to realize, wow! So there are people who they know they know what's happening um, with the food system in Haiti, and they are not really supporting. They're not really. Uh, the only thing that's sad about this is that. The um, so when China and the U.S. and 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 Vietnam when they send you know these uh, extra rice um, you know to Haiti particular rice you know where it goes it goes to the poor of the poorest like it goes to the really poor people and that is why a lot of a lot of them are actually developing diabetes they're developing all kinds of illnesses. Um, because of the because of the food that's being dumped there, but I was very encouraged to know that it's not. Uh, there are people who are still they are still trying to um, you know, they are still trying to support Haiti uh, Haiti's agriculture. Uh, the other uh, thing that I thought that I learned that was interesting that a friend of mine was telling me was that um, you know, growing up, and I don't know if that's if that was the case for you, Alice, but when I was growing up and uh, for many of us, you know, rice was not something that, that we would eat every day. Rice is usually, it, it was like, it was part of a meal, of, of a Sunday meal, right? It was because during the week you would eat a lot of vegetables, like a legume, banana, all those things, right? And then on Sundays we would actually eat um would actually you know have the sunday afternoon uh dinner and and we would eat rice but what's happening is our diet has changed when i say our diet the haitian diet 
and Haiti has changed. So people are now eating more rice. They're eating rice now seven days a week as opposed to just on Sundays. And, uh, and my friend was telling me, and as a result of our diet changing, you know, we are not able to keep up with, uh, with demand. And so, hence, that's why, you know, the government is encouraging, um, you know, these countries that I mentioned to sort of like, you know, bring the rice, um, you know, bring the rice there. But from what I understand, uh, Otsibunit is beginning to do some work. Um, they're beginning to actually grow rice. Uh, I know that's a very, uh, uh, that's a very controversial thing. It's all, it always has been a rice in Haiti because there are some people who don't want uh, us to actually grow rice. But from what I understand, they're beginning to actually um, grow rice in the Otsibunit. So we'll see. Well, and, uh, we'll and see to be precise, Latibonit was always, Latibonit has always fed, provided Haiti's rice. Latibonit yes. historically has been uh, a center of rice production. It's just that the neoliberal policies of the West have essentially wiped out that production. So, so Latibonit exactly. is probably rekindling what it's always done, I guess. Um, but right. I, I don't know it. I don't know to with what success because that foreign rice you're talking about, that unhealthy foreign rice is much cheaper. Right, it is cheaper. And and unfortunately, only the people who can afford, um, you know, the something a bit more expensive, you know, are buying, you know, all rice, uh, you know, you really do it you know, the country from the rice. And that's the best rice in Haiti uh, because of the way that the farmers actually grow it. There's no pesticides, there's nothing. Um, so if somebody's listening, that's what you really should uh, encourage your family to get. It might be a little bit more expensive, but it's it's healthier because in in the U.S. we have this whole organic movement going on, um, and people are spending a little bit more because they want to be healthier. Um, so that's you know that so that's that was the first part. So I spent you know, that time in Port-au-Prince and, and, uh, and it, it, was, it was still great because it's home. Uh, I have family in Port-au-Prince, so I got a chance to visit with them. Uh, so that was really, that was really fantastic. Uh, but something else that, that was also, that I walked away with, um, like when it was very, uh, it was very interesting when you start going to um, the Pétionville area, it was, it's almost, especially in some areas in Pichonville, it's almost like, Alice, you're not in the same country. <laughs> it's almost like you're not in the same country. And I shared some pictures, and I shared some pictures, um, you know, on, on Facebook and, and on Twitter. And to me, it struck a chord because um, they, are, they are parts of Pichonville where it's all gated communities. And they would they would make like the 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 high and middle class Americans look like you know they are poor because of the wealth you see. But it's only in that area, and also there's an area that's called La, uh, La Bouldouze, like um, it's one of the another part of the wealthiest areas in, of course, Montagne Noire. But it's only that that one percent. Like you can see the the contrast. It, I mean, it was just, it was just like in your face. 
you know, and it's one camionette away. You take, you know, well, maybe three camionettes because you have to, you have to do different, you know, you have to navigate a lot in Haiti to get one place. I mean, if you want to go uh, downtown uh, and if you want to travel by, by public transportation, you have to take like two or three, uh, you know, two or three uh, camionettes or three or three um, uh, tap tap. But uh, it, it was just like, whoa, what, you know, what, what happened? What, I mean, am I in the same place? And I want, and, and these are the, the places that I want people to, to actually see about Haiti, because when you look at the news, when you, when you, when you see even Haitian journalists, they tend to show the worst part of, the worst images of Haiti. Um, but I wanted people to see that they are parts of, you know, Haiti, particularly um, Port-au-Prince, that even though the 1% is, is living there, but it's still Haiti, but it's still, it's, it's beautiful. It's just, you know, it's, it's just breathtaking. It's absolutely magnificent. Um, so that, that's Port-au-Prince. Uh, and I am, I am hoping that, um, you know, and I, and I share something else with you a little bit later, but um, there's, a, there's a mayor and it seems to be very common that he has, he has a good reputation, the mayor in Delma. And it's true because as I was traveling and Port-au-Prince, uh, they are doing, they are building a lot of roads in Delma. And then all over you, 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 you all over Delma, you see, you know, Mayor on action, Mayor on action. So he, and there's a part that the asphalty, like, so he's, he's building that area. Um, so my, my question is, where is the money that the other, uh, what's happening with the other mayors? Because is the mayor and Puerto Prince the only mayor getting money to fix Zelma? Or does Haiti not have, uh, you know, uh, mayors like toward, toward Haiti? Like what is happening? But he has a good reputation and, and I've spoken with different people and they said, yes, he's the only one that's doing his job. And you can and you can see it because when you travel to the area that he's responsible for, uh, it's beautiful, asphalte, clean. And I again, I took pictures and I sent them. A lot of uh, some of the pictures were in Pichonville. They were also in Delma. Clean, clean, clean. You wouldn't even think. But it's the same. It's the same. It's the same time. It's still part of France. So that's why I said, you know, 99. You know, uh, like Katie's booking for 99 percent of the population. But for the one percent, you know, it's really working for them because they, they they're living as if they, you know, they're living here. So they don't really care about the ninety nine percent. And I think that's what needs to turn around, um, so that way people can actually feel like they they also they have a part, you know, in Haiti. They have a part of the country that it also belongs to them. It doesn't belong to just the one percent of the population. So I'll stop here before I, I go into the, the the wealth of the country and. And I'll talk a little bit about, you know, Jacques Man, and I'll talk a little bit about Leo Gam, but well, I'll see if you have any questions. My next question, and it, it will also be my last question for the evening, so I'm encouraging uh, all of those who want to call in to do so ASAP. Uh, but that was going to be my, 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 my next question, so lead right into it, which is you said to start out that um, – once you leave Port-au-Prince, things are not fantastic, but you can see the wealth. Tell us about what that wealth is. Okay, so um, 
you know how I, I think a couple of months ago you had uh, Daniel uh, Jean Louis on the show. He's the author from Aid to Trade, and in his book he talked about how you know um, you know based on his research, like when um, when you know Clinton actually Volgo when he actually um, worked with um, I think it was ICED to get ICED to basically not focus on Haiti's agriculture, uh, but instead to, you know, that basically the U.S. was going to bring in food, you know, to Haiti. Um, and now I understand why. Now I understand why. Because Haiti's wealth really is, is in its agriculture. And that is why the, you know, Bill Clinton and, and the U.S. policy towards uh, Haiti's agriculture um, have been so uh, negative and, 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 and have, you know, have had such a negative impact on the country. And what most people don't understand, because when I share this, people are like, well, Daniela, you can't, you can't uh, keep blaming the Clintons for this. But this is not about blaming the Clintons. This is about the impact of what that decision has done and how 30 years later, Haitians are still suffering for it. And that is why I'm bringing it up. That is why I'm bringing it up. Because now, as a community, as Haitians, as a diaspora, we have to figure out a way to put back, to help put uh, the 100,000, close to the 100,000 people. I believe the exact number was about 93,000 uh, from uh, Jean-Louis' book. But these are the farmers that we have to put back to work. because. They are the same farmers whose lives were destroyed by the uh, policies that were actually imposed on Haiti uh, 20, 30 years ago. So that is why I keep bringing it up. And that is why I talk a lot about agriculture, because that is agriculture and technology and business, because that's where um, Thing, that's where Haiti will start turning around. It's not going to turn around uh, to these factories. And, and, and remind me if I have time, I'll share another story with you about the factories uh, as well. But um, so in any case, when you leave Port-au-Prince, when you start traveling to, you know, Leogane and Jacmel and you go to, um, and, you know, Kinskov. I didn't go to Kinskov, but I've been to Kinskov. I mean, it is just, I mean, the amount of, food and, 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 and land is just, it's just, it's overwhelming. But what was striking to me was like, because I visit, you know, my family's in the Ogan, so um, I, I walked around a lot and I also visited with friends of the family because, you know, everybody wants to see you and, and, and I wanted to see everybody. Um, but what was fascinating to me uh, was everywhere I went, Alice, I mean, even if somebody had like maybe a, you know, a four by four square, like, you know, uh, like little land area, they were growing between five, seven to 10 uh, crops, 10 uh, products, 10, you know, food items. And I'm talking about, I mean, so much food is being wasted. Like I saw so many uh like breadfruit trees, mango, pistache, like pistache. Oh, I mean, full of food. But the problem 
they don't know how to convert that food. They don't know how to turn that food. I mean, they eat, I mean, they'll eat, uh, you know, they'll, they obviously go in the food to eat and to feed their families, but there's so much food available because one of the things that's rich about Haiti is that we have, believe it or not, because it rains a lot, because we get rain a lot and we get the hurricanes, uh, we get a lot of water, which people don't know. Haitians, contrary to what people say, that is not true. We do not, Port-au-Prince is, is suffering for water, but when you start going outside of Port-au-Prince, like in the Ogan, the Ogan is filthy rich with water because we have uh, um, an area called Galette. It's where the river is beautiful. I mean, miles and miles and miles of white uh, rocks and, and, and sand. I mean, beautiful. And then you just, you just step outside and you are in the mountains. You're just looking at the mountains. So you, it, it's just really hard to be upset there because it's just so gorgeous. But it's the amount of food that's there. And also the land is fertile. So, I mean, um, Haiti, I mean, the, outside of Port-au-Prince, um, you know, the, all of Port-au-Prince really needs to be developed. Uh, so that's where I saw a lot of potential because the country's already um, filthy rich with what's important, that is land and food. So we have to figure out a way, and when I say we, I'm saying as a community, as a people, we have to figure out a way to just single hand the very same the very thing that the Clinton Bill Clinton did not want in every other policy the USAID um, that they do not want for Haiti. That is what we need to focus on to get the people out of um, out of poverty to the point where they cannot even eat. So that's been my my that is the one message that I came to share with people is that if you want to you know support Haiti. You have to figure out a way. You have to connect with a farmer. You have to connect with uh, somebody who's actually growing food, who has a piece of land. Uh, another thing that I discovered: there's a lot of uh, a lot of the Haitian diaspora uh, who are in the U.S. and Canada. They still have land in Haiti where their families are actually living, um, you know, in those lands. But the only problem is. Um, the land for some reason they're not they're not really doing much with it. So I think I think it's time for them to re engage, to re engage to because if it's your property, uh, then it's time for you to engage to find out, okay, is it being useful? And how is it being useful? And how can you instead of sending somebody fifty dollars a month or a hundred dollars a month, figure out a way to get them to uh you know, to, to grow food and to actually figure out maybe they can they can uh, create a small agribusiness so that way they can live. So you don't even have to want uh, to send, uh, you know, fifty dollars a month because that's what happened with this young guy to Facebook because now that he's got this, uh, he has like a a box of tools. Now he has a job. Now the government, the Haitian government, is trying to hire him to do work for them. Why? Because now he's he's now he's running his own small business. He doesn't really need uh, the USAID. He doesn't really need somebody to send because he's got, he has a skill and he's able to actually use the skill to earn a living. Um, but that's what needs to happen, I think, in the in the agriculture sector. 
because that's where you are going to find a lot of business opportunities because the food is already there. So you have to want, you have to partner, you have to figure out a way to, to find uh, Haitians, like the farmers in Haiti that you can partner with, because they have to be a partnership because they have the land and you probably have the resources, but they need to feel like they can also trust you that you're coming in to do the right thing by them. Uh, even though they don't, they may not have the money, but they have the, um, they have the ability to actually produce the food, right? They have the ability to produce the food. So that was, um, that was, the, that was the, what I saw. And also everywhere you went, you saw land. I mean, people, and they empty. They empty. I'm like, what are they doing with all these empty, <laughs> um, you know, um, pieces of, like, what are they doing? Pieces of land. I'm like, what are they doing? Um, so I think those are opportunities that, um, that people can actually look at to see, and it doesn't have to take a long time. Uh, the problem, uh, and, I, and I, I'm gonna share this last thing too, that somebody shared with me, I thought, wow, and it's true because I had this conversation with somebody on Facebook. What I'm hearing, it's amazing to me how I hear so many Haitians finding excuses as to why they cannot start businesses in Haiti. But you know what's fascinating to me, Alice, is that there are so many foreigners, when I say foreigners, like people who are coming from the U.S., uh, and several people confirmed this uh, for me in Haiti, from Canada, and they spent six months in Haiti. And they are able to start a business, and they come, in, and they come back to the U.S., and they're still running the business in Haiti and they are making money. But Haitians keep telling me that, no, they cannot do it because of security. But I'm like, but these people who are building these multi-million dollar businesses, whether it has to do with, um, you know, uh, 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 building, um, there's this guy, and I just read uh, about him uh, from Inc. Magazine, he's, he's using uh, garbage like the garbage in Haiti to turn it into materials to sell. And somebody just invested a lot of money in his company. <laughs> and then you have, and the, and you, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, so, but you complaining to me, telling me as a Haitian, oh, no, 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 there's a lot of, uh, we have a lot of factors. And this, but my question is, maybe you are not working smart because how is it that these people, they don't speak, Creole, they don't know the culture, and they don't really have any family in Haiti, but they are able to go to Haiti in about six months, build a business, come back to, come back to the U.S. There's this one woman who actually went to Haiti, and you know what she's doing? And this is something that I am encouraging. If Haitians are listening, they need to really think about. There's a, a fur, this uh, plant that's called olive um, oil, uh, uh, moringa. That is big. It's all over Haiti and this woman went to Haiti and studied moringa that you know um you know learn about the, the herb learn about the plant and came back to the U.S. and actually started the business with moringa and moringa is like basically it's all over the organ it's all over Jacques I mean but these wow <laughs> these are, yes so these are the things that are happening, and that's what I mean. Like the people 
who are working smart in Haiti, they are finding the wealth. But if Haitians remain stubborn and they're like, well, I'll do it by myself, I'll do this, before they know it, they are the ones who are going to actually end up losing out because there are people in Haiti right now who are making, who are finding uh, a way to actually uh, create businesses and make money. And they are doing that while they're traveling back and forth, whether it's from California or from New York, they are making it happen. So Haitians have to ask themselves, like, what, is, what, what is the breakdown and what is not connecting? So I hope, I hope, I hope that, that helps. Um, one last thing that I wanted to mention concerning, concerning the strike, you know, the strike for the, uh, for the factory workers. Uh, because one of my family, one of my cousins actually uh, worked um, at one of the factories. And I was talking to her and I was asking her, uh, you know, why things, you know, why, why things happen through there and everything um, that we've been learning about the low pay, the bad conditions, that's all true. She confirmed that. Um, and she was one of the people who actually lost her job when she went on strike and she, you know, asking for more, because she has a son and she said, Daniela, I could not, I cannot even put my son to school with the salary that I was actually, that I was actually making at the factory. But here's, here's what, uh, here's the caveat, right? So they, the factory, the current factory owners said, no, we're not going to pay you, you know, the 800 good. Uh, we're only going to give you, I think they give them 30,000. They said, no, so she doesn't have a job right now. But here's what's interesting. After all that hoopla, all that chaos happened, two companies, two companies, and one of them, I think, was from China wanted uh, to go to Haiti, asked the Haitian government that they said, well, since you guys are, you know, uh, having problems with the factories, we, we want to come and open, you know, to factories, but we want to be able to pay, um, we want to be able to pay livable wages. The current factory owners in Haiti said, no, that's not happening. They blocked it. They said, no. I'm sure. I'm sure. They said, no. they said, no, that's not happening. So they don't want to pay, but, and they don't want anybody else to come. So what I tell them to do is, you know what, find patients <laughs> who have landed a, to partner with them so they can open their own, so they can co-found something. They can, you know, because then that's the only way. They don't have to go to the government because then they can actually, uh, because they are, you know, Haitians open, I mean, there are people who open businesses in Haiti all the time. They can actually work through partnerships as opposed to just asking the government. Because if you're waiting for the government, because the government right now is catering to the bourgeoisie, because the bourgeoisie, you know, uh, they are the ones who actually put uh, Jovenel in power. So I don't know how, I don't know how, how you know, Jovenel is going to fight for uh, for those two companies to come, but I just thought it was a shame because um, if they were to allow them to come, that that would be you know um, you know some decent job that would be that would you know that they would be able to create in Haiti. But that's not you know that's not happening. That's not happening at least for at least for now. Um, but I tell them I said you know they need to find other ways to um, 
they need to find other ways to actually <laughs> to make it happen because uh, if they wait, it's just never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. So that's that's my uh, experience. But I'm gonna keep on plugging. And I'm working on the book because I think that's another thing that's important because that, that's another mystery that seems to surround Oman Haiti where it's and, very and, and, and in the book you're you're gonna talk about uh what what you consider to be the, the potential to start businesses in Haiti. Yes, is that gonna be part of also, that? Yeah. Yes, yes, and also what what uh how to navigate the the landscape. And I had a chance to visit with the Ministry of Commerce because I have friends who work there. I had a chance to interview them. Uh and you it's it's complex, but what I'm hoping to do is to simplify the process because uh, everything in Haiti is a mystery and part of it is very deliberate is so that way people don't have access. And my thing is the more people, the more Haitians who can actually open uh, businesses in Haiti, the better it is for the country because um, they are not going, they can't rely on just uh, the government, but there is an opportunity for the diaspora to really partner with the with the Haitians in Haiti to actually uh, move things forward without necessarily waiting for the government. But there's got to be, um, you have to build a relationship like everything else. They need to feel like they can trust you and you need to feel like you can trust them. But that's going to take building a relationship. And also, you know, if you say you're going to do something, you kind of, you make it happen. Uh, and you, you find a way to kind of like work with them so you can get things done in Haiti. So yeah, that's that's why it was it was very fruitful, uh, very productive, um, and I'm hoping that I can um, I can go back again next year, obviously, to want uh, to continue to build on on, on what I've already started working on. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much my, my well, Daniela, this was uh, very informative. Uh, I knew once you returned that we could fill a whole show with you talking about this trip because of course the way that you look at things just the eye that you have uh tends to be very very much outside the box so it's, so I, I i wanted to hear what you had to say and it's with great pleasure that uh, we did that and we're going to of course look forward to on your blog you you promised that you had more coming uh, and so we're going to yes. look forward to uh, all the the amazing stuff you're gonna be unearthing on your and un, uh, unveiling on your blog in your in, in the next few weeks. Um, you and I, well, you actually are working on bringing a, a pretty, a, a, you know, and, and I'm not naming names, but I know that you. <laughs> we we may have some very interesting shows in the works in the near future. Yes. Daniela is working on that, uh, you know, and we're not gonna. We're not going to jinx it. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's going to be a show because so Daniela does work. shows periodically. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. But Daniela has done yeah. several shows and brought several guests. And uh, Daniela is working on bringing us a specific guest that she would host for. And, uh, of course, we're looking forward to that. And um, so depending on uh, where Daniela lands in her scheduling, next week we'll either have her surprise guest or we will have um, – knock on wood, uh, the director of the Flamboyant Literacy Project, which is a, a very promising, very important organization functioning in Brooklyn. 
wow. where uh, is essentially doing doing adult literacy and also helping um, Haitians who need help, young Haitians who may have not come here speaking English, uh, who need help to go to college. I've heard, and, and they also host the uh, the Friday night events when when I play clips from the um show they they always mention they always have a rundown of what happens there um happens on friday nights at something called uh something on batonel but i batonel i think it's called and that also that takes place the that that on batonel takes place every friday at the same time as this show at the flamboyant literacy project so we're going to be very um happy to welcome the director of the Flamboyant Literacy Project, so that show and the show that Daniela is working on, those will be coming on, uh, if not next week, then certainly in the next few weeks. So there are certainly um, very interesting shows coming coming, coming forth. So Daniela, I'll let you have the last word and then we'll close with uh, some music from uh, Bouillon Bois. But uh, go ahead and... Um, um, sure. Um, absolutely. I sure. Well, it's always a pleasure, Alice, to uh, to come on the show and to talk with you and to uh, you know just share whatever that I'm learning about Haiti and um, and the work that you know really uh, that's happening. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, a great um, um, show for the next week or so. As you said, we'll we'll let everybody know. Um, because we're still trying to iron out all the details. Uh, but it's been great. I do hope that, um, you know, um, Haiti, I, I think, still has a lot of, uh, I have a lot of hope for Haiti. And, uh, and I really believe that uh, things are going to change. Um, and I'm hoping uh, definitely in the next couple of weeks, we'll also know what's happening with this, um, with this budget issue, which we did not talk about. That can probably yeah. take another a whole other show. Um, so we talked about there that a lot of weeks ago. Yeah, we we've done oh, so we many okay. new blog reviews in the last few weeks that I didn't, you okay. know, I I, I want to get back to bringing guests because like we've had like five news and blog reviews in a row. But if you want to touch on this uh, budget issue and even in 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 on uh, what uh, what went down in in New York this week with uh, Jovenel Moise's yes. visit, please. Yes. Please, uh, yes. please, please be my guest. Yeah, we can definitely close out on some current current events. Well, what from what I understand is that um, this budget, which I'm sure you probably know, and I'm sure you also will probably notice, uh, some people believe that it's going to be um, used for the army, um, hmm. which I thought, yeah, that put up that money you mean, being pushed. You mean this money. tax, this 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 tax, this on, tax the, on the yes, diaspora? They want to raise Yes, it's going to be rich. But from what I'm hearing on the ground, because I did ask people uh, in Haiti, I asked one accountant particularly, he said, you know what, that tax is really going to hurt them more than helping them. Because, uh, and you know how, it's because of the way that the small businesses are going to be hurting. So that tax is not really to help to make it easy for the small businesses. But in reality, it's for, it's for the government to be able to have money to do what the government wants to do. And that is why a lot of people are, are upset, you know, with, uh, with, uh, with this tax um, that's actually going to go on. But other people are saying, you know what, um, 
we we do need this we do need this tax we do need because there are Haitian uh, I mean they have lived outside of Haiti for like 20 something years and even though they hold uh, a Haitian passport they never pay taxes and and you know they, they're saying well that's not the case for U.S. citizens if a U.S. citizen decides to live you know in Haiti that U.S. citizen still needs to pay taxes. They still have to do the taxes every every year. So, um, so that's what people are really fighting with. They're like, well, if the tax was fair, if they felt like you know the tax was gonna also help, uh, because small business in Haiti, it's very very, and that's one of the things that I'm gonna address in the book, uh, because. A lot of the interviews that I've done, I've done with people who actually have businesses in Haiti. They have businesses that are running, that are registered, and that are actually functioning and they're earning a small revenue. And it, I mean, it is expensive to start a small business in Haiti. And that is why they, they are hoping that this, this tax will eventually change because if you're making it harder, for the average Haitian to actually sell a business, you really don't want you really don't want um, uh, economic development. You really not try, like one friend said, Daniela. You talk about how you want the informal economy to get you know to become formal so they can pay taxes, but if you're making it harder for them, it's not going to happen because they're going to find more ways to become you know to to basically exploit the system to not pay anything. So I'm waiting to see, uh, but other people say, well, it needed to happen because he needed to do something. And I understand that piece too, because he says, you know, we've never really had a real budget like that um, create such chaos in Haiti. And, you know, some people think it's a good idea that he actually, uh, you know, passed the budget because at least he, he's doing something. So it's very, it's very, very mixed. But for now, the way that it is, uh, it is not business friendly. So the people who are going to have the opportunity to really start a small business in Haiti are going to be the Haitian diaspora because of the way that it is uh, it is set up and the amount of fees, uh, especially the different businesses. The best business in Haiti to do right now is a soap is what they call a sole proprietorship. You know, it's like an, 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 as an individual. That's that's the, the 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 least expensive, and that is what you know most of the people do. But when you start doing LLCs and you start doing corporations, oh my gosh, you need to have so much money. When in New York, you know you can start a small business with like a thousand dollars, and with some business you can start with five hundred dollars. But in Haiti, uh, you need at least between two thousand five hundred to $5,000 to start a small business. So that's why they, they don't think this tax is really going to help more people leave the informal economy to get into the formal economy so they can pay decent taxes and they can help the government. They think it's really a way for the government to actually earn money. But you know what I say to that too? I tell people, I said, you know what? The, the real revolution in a way since I think he already passed it because I think it's already been published on uh, Le Moniteur. In a way, um, since it's already uh, passed, he's just going to speed up the, re the Haitian revolution because now that he's actually going to get money from, from 
from the masses is going to get, you know, all the past dollars that he can get, people are going to expect more. Because right now, the Haitian diaspora, we are supporting the Haitian economy, but the average citizen, they're not really paying. They're not really, uh, they don't pay taxes uh, for anything. Um, but now that the government is going to start collecting a lot of money from them, because to them, they're, if they don't have the money, if you're collecting $100, that's still a lot of money. Now, they're actually going to force people's hands to really push for a revolution where they're going to start demanding things to happen. Uh, so it's the next few months, it's going to be very interesting for Haiti. Either, you know, Jovenel will do what's right. And if he is collecting that money, people start seeing the improvement quickly, or he's actually going to see uh, a revolution. Like he's going to start seeing these massive demonstrations and they're going to get worse. Uh, the same way that, um, that things got worse for Martini when he was in power for the next three years. So things are very, very, very fragile right now because of this tax issue. So we just have to really wait and see what happens. But it's, um, it's, it, 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 it's complicated. So we just have to wait, you know. So that's my last thing. I, I'm, I'm sure that's not, <laughs> hopefully that helps. But that's, that's the last thing um, that I've been here that I, that I heard from people on the ground. And I understand, uh, you know, what, what's happening a little bit uh, better. Yeah, hopefully that helps. And that's all, all right. I have. Yes. Very good. Thank you so much for being with us, Daniela. I do want to remind everyone, uh, because it's now, uh, the word is now out on social media, uh, there is a, um, there is a uh, Black American, African American film director named Tariq Nasheed, who has now released uh, the film 1804, The Hidden History uh, of Haiti. And the film is now in theaters. Um, let's see. Let me just make sure I have the the listing right. So yes, it's in theaters nationwide next month. Um, nice. And so nice. to find out where in theaters, you should go to uh, www.1804movie.com. 1804movie.com. Now. Um, the dude who made the film is kind of a superstar. Ideally, we, 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 we would promise that we would try to get him on the show. I can't promise that because it's kind of, you know, it's that whole Hollywood mindset. Um, but certainly we, we are looking forward to discussing the film at the very least on the show. All right. So very this nice. is great. And, uh, Daniela, again, thank you for, uh, thank you for coming on. And uh, again, uh, folks, stay tuned for uh, the amazing shows we have in store for you in the next few weeks. Take good care of yourselves. Again, um, at Musical.ly Thursday at Lakai in Brooklyn next week is going to be Edwin Vasquez. And, uh, you know, that's one, one, one way to support the podcast is to spread the word about Musical.ly Thursday. So um, you guys have a lovely evening. And um, I am leaving you with uh, Bouillon Bois and the Blues and Red Bands, One Note Rara. Have a good evening. Good night. Thank you, Alice.